Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Monday, February 20th. Hi all, Stacey Marie here. Today in the US, it's a holiday, so we thought this would be a good opportunity to reshare an episode that we had previously recorded with my colleague from Odd Lots, Joe. And as an aside, you should definitely be listening to the Odd Lots podcast. We first recorded this episode in the immediate aftermath of the collapse of crypto exchange FTX. Joe's comments are insightful and, as always, quite entertaining. Hope you enjoy. Have you heard the one about the box? Well, in April 2022, long before Sam Bankman-Fried was tweeting rambling threads about the collapse of his FTX empire, he joined the Bloomberg Odd Lots podcast and talked about the box. What this protocol is, it's called Protocol X. It's a box that you can take a token, you can take Ethereum, you can put it in the box and you can take it out of the box. Like you put it in the box and you get like, you know, an IOU for, for having put it in the box and then you can redeem that IOU back out for the token. The box was Bankman-Fried's metaphor for describing the crypto practice of yield farming. And his description at the time raised many an eyebrow because it seemed, well, both too blunt and too good to be true. I'm joined today by Joe Weisenthal, co-host of the Odd Lots podcast, who at that time ended that episode with a deeply relatable comment. I don't know how to feel about it. I I feel weird. (laughs) We all feel weird. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And, you know, you range from like what's happening with trucking supply chains to Guyana to interviewing Sam Bankman-Fried. Yeah. (laughs) So for the for the purposes of this episode, we're going to talk about that interview in April 2022. This was right before the SALT conference in the Bahamas. Things were still... Um, I'll use the word frothy and optimistic. Yeah. The, the the vibe was very much, you know, to the moon, as the Bitcoin folks like to say. And Bankman Fried came on the show, which was co-hosted by Tracy and had a special guest appearance from Matt Levine. Among many other things you talked about, one of the things was about DeFi and yield farming. Yeah. And at that point, you know, he had this metaphor about the box, which was like, you put money in and kind of money comes out <laughs> and what happens in between is mysterious. That's right. And I, I re-listened to that episode before we recorded this one. And I just remember you, Tracy and Matt all doing variations on like, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's interesting because the, the box comments, I think it's about 20 or so minutes into the episode. And I do mm-hmm. think that if you sort of listen to the full episode, just the tone of it. We never quite recovered or got back on track <laughs> after that. I think because we were all like a little like flabbergasted, a little bit surprised by the bluntness, the sort of 
You know, after he described yield farming as like this sort of magic money box where you put money in and then money comes out. And Matt's first response was like, to be honest, that sounds like a Ponzi scheme. And I was like, wow, it doesn't really seem like there's any economic value created at all. My expectation at that moment in the conversation was that he would push back a little bit. Like he would say right. something like, oh, well, that's just sort of like the structure of it. But something cool and productive could theoretically happen in the box. So what surprised me at the time was not even the metaphor per se, but after Matt sort of said, this sounds like Ponzi, after we all kind of said, oh, where's the value? There was like no pushback or anything. And I think that was actually the part more than anything else that I found to be jarring. And then, yeah, afterwards, like, you know, we got to the end and Tracy and I did our outro. And I think we just sort of like stammered a little bit because after that moment, we didn't really know what to say, except, wow, that was... In a, in a weird way, it seemed very honest. It seemed like he was being extremely candid about what he thought, cynical. But it, you know, it almost came off as like, well, yeah, here's a crypto person saying what many people outside of crypto believe to be the case about the industry. You, like many other people, have read the Vox story, mm -hmm. in which, which was essentially like he was texting with a Vox reporter, and there was so much in there in which he indicated just how savvy he was about his yeah. public persona and the kinds of things that he had to say in order to seem credible. But you also get the impression that this is a person who, while he was doing that, while he was playing this part, to some extent believed that he was above the free, right? Yeah. That he was, to use a very old phrase in finance, actually still the smartest guy in the room. Well, you know, one thing that I long thought about Sam and being separate. And so I don't know if above is right, but it, you know maybe he did think of himself, but definitely separate, which is that, you know, in his public persona, like on Twitter, et cetera, he never really made the case that crypto is good. Most mm. people in the space argue that, oh yeah, of course, you know, they don't really talk about all the money they're making or they were making anyway. They talk about, oh, we're changing the world and we're going to bring transparency and trustlessness and you're not going to have your money devalued by the Fed and you're not going to have to trust JP Morgan, etc. Or the sort of other version that it's like, oh, well, people in emerging markets without access to reliable payments or stable, whatever it is, there are all these stories that crypto people tell the public and I think to a large extent tell themselves to put this gloss on making a lot of money so that sounds like important and world changing. And he never did that as far as I could tell. It was always about the money, mm. not just in that conversation, but elsewhere. And so I always thought, you know, I remember like even a friend of mine several months ago asked me what I thought of um, uh, SBF. I thought it was sort of refreshing that he didn't sort of like position making a lot of money in crypto as sort of this noble thing. And basically he was like he and the various Alameda people who are on Twitter are like, they really just talked about the money. And they talked about the money. Obviously, there was this backdrop, whether you believe that it was sincere or not, of, you know, what's called effective altruism. Yeah. That the idea is like you make a bunch of money and eventually maybe you change the world. But it was also the way that they talked about the money was very matter of fact. Yes. And I think in addition to what you're identifying about the, the self-righteousness mm -hmm. that can infuse crypto twitter sometimes yeah there's also a lot of mudslinging right yeah. there's uh, as is happening right now various similarly disgraced crypto founders are spending <laughs> quite a lot of time yes. on twitter redirecting attention towards you know sam bankman fried and ftx right now 
there were a couple of times I remember, you know, when Bankman Freed talked about like Coinbase earnings and various mm-hmm. other things. But for the majority of his presence, he was talking up or talking about like his own entities, and there were many. When you were interviewing other folks in the yeah. crypto space, and you've talked to a lot of them, what was their perception of what was happening at Alameda, FTX, Bankman Freed himself? That's a good question. So I don't think in any of our interviews that we've actually done on the podcast that we actually like talked about FTX and or Alameda or SBF. What I do know is that, you know, when I spoke to traders just sort of independently or my curiosity about the industry, they really like trading on FTX. And I think this mm-hmm. is like it from my perspective, again, you know, sort of going back and like rethinking things like one of the through lines was that professional like crypto hedge fund traders, et cetera, thought it was a really high quality product for a number of reasons, that there was a high level of customer support, that there was a high level of uptime. If you recall, sites like Coinbase have had some pretty big downtimes from time to time. It didn't seem like FTX had any. I remember talking to a trader who once told me that like, basically you can buy with a tremendous amount of leverage, Mm -hmm. sites like FTX and Binance, et cetera. And then if the position moves against you, you get the position liquidated and your collateral gets taken away from you. But of course, any algorithm that determines when your collateral is going to get taken away from you, you know, it's got it's based on some sort of like, uh, you know, probabilistic measure. I don't really know the math, but some sort of probabilistic measure of you're in risk of losing the exchange money. And what I was told by one trader is like that FTX's liquidation engine works so well. And they're like, oh, FTX is going to take over the world because their liquidation engine is so much better than everyone else's that they've traded with. There was also cross-margining abilities. So you could post one type of token as a collateral and get leverage against a different asset, which you apparently could not get on Binance. So I think there was another aspect in which, you know, you sort of like, if you were to think about from an investor perspective, like doing due diligence on a company, we'd want to talk to, do the customers like the product? And my impression always was that uh, customers really like trading on FTX. You have this combination of software that seemed to be pretty decent, right? And insofar as the value that the FTX trading platform is providing to institutional investors, a lot of intelligence, a lot of people who were all about the money, and yet the size of the losses, mm-hmm. that whether it's between 8 or $10 billion, seems to have stunned a lot of people just in terms of the sheer scope of it. Yeah, and I, I do believe that like where the money went is still a mystery. But what seems like very plausible is that Alameda was uh, lost a lot of money trading. I mean, mm-hmm. on some level or another, that seems to be the case. And, you know, this is something that, uh, like I said, I never really heard people talk that much about Alameda. But, you know, of course, um, Sam had a uh, background at the famous uh, quant trading shop, Jane Street, Jane as Street. did some of his colleagues. And so the pre- the presentation of Alameda was that it was sort of like this market neutral quantitative trading shop. And I'm pretty sure on the Alameda website, they also talked about that they were a market neutral firm. So not taking big directional bets one way or another. But that being said, and, you know, if you're like thinking, okay, like, let's go back and think more about red flags. I do recall, you know, and people have since pointed these out, but I do remember thinking at the time that the former CEO of Alameda, uh, Sam Trabuco, Trabuco. who left the company earlier in the year, some point this summer, he did have these threads that did not seem like very quanty, did not seem like market neutral. And one of the threads that people point to, if I recall, is like, 
basically like, oh, we went long Dogecoin ahead of Elon's <laughs> SNL, which may be, you know, maybe a fine trade, although I think that was the peak. But it's like, oh, man, this is not exactly what I thought, what my impression of what Alameda was doing. And I thought what it was doing was, you know, making markets and collecting spreads between the price of a coin on one side and the price of a coin on another side or the price of a coin on a centralized exchange versus the price on a DeFi exchange. So I did, you know, I didn't think too much about it, but I did think, oh, I guess I that it did seem different what I than what I thought Alameda was doing. We'll be right back with more from Bloomberg's Joe Weisenthal. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You said to friends of the show, Katie and Tim, yeah. that one of the signs that crypto is immature is that it's too hard to launder money yeah. <laughs> well, without getting caught. Well, this is like so something I mean, I've been, you know, from day one, it's like this is the question. It's like, well, what is crypto good for? Right. We've probably both of us have asked this question of a million guests like, OK, it's fun as journalists. We like looking at the lines going up and down. And it's probably fun as, as traders, like, you know, big, big swings. But like. What is it good for, right? What is the point of any of this? And, you know, one of the things you hear, particularly from the Bitcoin side of the world, is like, well, it's good for censorship resistant payments, doing the payments mm-hmm. that the state doesn't want you to do, doing the payments that would uh, Venmo or uh, PayPal or Zelle or your bank would kick you off for, right? Trustless money. And yet it doesn't seem to be that good for that either, as far as I can tell. And so, like, you know, even the sort of like bare minimum things that like crypto proponents often say which is like, well, person A can send person B money and person C can't say no. I'm not even convinced that that's true because, again, I think in the you know the context we were discussing was like, there was a big test of this with the Canadian trucker protest earlier this yep. year. And a lot of that money got seized or blocked. And that was people trying to donate to the protesters. And so regardless of what you think about the protesters' mission or cause, it struck me as kind of a test of like cryptos, as particularly Bitcoin's main claims. And I don't think it really lived up. They didn't really have a way of getting Bitcoin to the protesters in a way that uh, was trustless and could avoid blockage. 
Well, one of the things that the truckers did is they like put a bunch of wallet addresses on yeah. their signs and the size of their <laughs> trucks, and they're like, "Get send us money here." Yeah. And then various regulators were like, "We're just gonna lock those wallets down." But you know, on the other hand, like there's no like I think you know I remember so after that happened, I remember seeing these discussions, even among many like sort of Bitcoin proponents, like, "Oh, they shouldn't have like." Uh, you know, made the wallet uh, addresses so public, which fine, maybe. But I don't think I ever saw like a great alternative right. solution. And, you know, it's like, okay, let's say you are going to be the uh, focal point for dispersing the money. I'm going to send it to you and you know who the truckers are privately and you're going to disperse it. How do I trust you? How do I know you're not going to pocket it, etc. And so even like if you could find a way like around the public wallet episodes, like you still have the problem of trusting the intermediaries so it's very tricky. And so I thought that that was like a pretty good test of whether you know, like Bitcoin's core claims of censorship resistance could be defended. And I thought it was lacking. Is there anything that you're seeing in the response to the fallout from algorithmic stablecoins, Three Arrows Capital, Celsius, Voyager, SBF, FTX, yeah. that is suggesting what the next crisis could look like? So I did actually have one thought on this specific question, which is that one of the things you're hearing about now in the wake of FTX is this concept where they say, OK, crypto entities, particularly centralized ones, if they're going to be centralized, should produce some sort of proof of reserves. And this idea that with cryptographic technology, you don't necessarily have to reveal your entire balance sheet or all the items on it, but you can prove your solvency in some way. And so you have some snapshot of coins that are yours and you can prove your solvency. And the first thought that went to my mind was, sure, you might be able to do that, but how do you know that the marks are true? And of course, in mm -hmm. TradFi, you know, 2008, 2009, it was always like level one, level two, level three assets. Mark to myth. <laughs> Mark to myth. That's right. And we saw that a bit with FTX because part of the story is how much of the FTT and Serum tokens they had. And I think many people would say that those coins were marked to myth. You know, if the next stage of, okay, what lessons learned from FTX, every exchange has to like sort of like have some sort of cryptographic proof of solvency, then I think the next crisis after that could have something that's like, yeah, but where do these prices come from and how reliable are they? Because we do see that, of course, with the FTT and Serum question with FTX. And I'm not sure that like a proof of reserves had it been in place for FTX would have necessarily been uh, robust against that failure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. You can find more of Joe's work on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. And of course, on the Odd Lots podcast, as well as the Odd Lots newsletter. And be sure to check out our twice-weekly newsletter, Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Barrero. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.